You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. Let's take a look at John 2, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. So if you will, stand with me. You guys had a good time to sit, didn't you? Normally I'm having you stand up and you just sit down. So this is good. This will keep you awake. By the way, He Shall Hold Me Fast has been one of my favorite songs for the last couple of years. That song, memorize it and sing it in the night. You hear me? Get the lyrics to that song. And when the darkness starts to creep in, sing that song. It is powerful. It is powerful. Now let's see what a powerful word God has for us today. It says, on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, don't ever talk to your mother that way, (laughs) unless you're Jesus. What does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. That's another line you would never want to say on Mother's Day. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, And did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this story, this beautiful story of your love, Jesus, for your mom, for a wedding party. Lord, thank you for the joy that is evident in this passage, the joy that you bring. And I pray, Lord, today, each of us, if we brought in stress to this room, we'll leave with a little more joy in our hearts. Encourage us, Jesus, I pray. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, if you are looking for a crisis, plan a wedding. Can I get an amen? Life is never simple. We know that. And, you know, when you think of a wedding, you think about friends and family and fun and some great food and some great cake, a season of joy. And that is all true if you are attending a wedding. But that is not true if you are planning a wedding. If you are the one in charge, let me tell you, it is stressful. Now, I used to joke around and say I'd rather do a funeral than a wedding, and I can't keep saying that because that's just dark. I was doing a wedding one time. I was really young. I was probably 25 or 26, 
I, you know, I've always been a really good funeral preacher. I mean, a really good funeral preacher, not so good wedding preacher. Sorry, it's just, you know, you want to know my darkness? There it is. Okay. So I was doing a wedding, and I was back home. And, you know, the wedding party was not doing what they were supposed to do. And I was barking orders. And I didn't have a wedding coordinator because it was a little church, and they didn't have such thing. And I was the wedding coordinator, preacher, uh, scholar, uh, counselor, and, you know, all-around nice guy. And I'm trying to boss everybody around. Well, I wasn't doing it with a smile on my face. The pianist who grew up with me and knew me pretty well, I knew I was in trouble when I heard the tune over the piano, Frosty the Snowman. (laughs) Point taken. If you want to find a crisis, plan a wedding. John 2 gives us Jesus' first miracle, and of all things, it's water into wine. But this miracle flows from a stressful event, a wedding. And I want us to see this. Who is stressed? Well, Jesus' mother is definitely stressed. The wedding party is definitely stressed. But notice that Jesus is not stressed. I want to just say this to you. No matter how stressful your day is, no matter how tense the moment is, I want you to know Jesus is never stressed out. Ever. Remember that when you're falling apart, Jesus is your rock. When you are in crisis, he is still sovereign and king over your life. This story shows us that. Mary's evident stress in John 2, I think, is a perfect transition into a Mother's Day sermon. We love our moms, but I think we are really good at stressing them out. Now, in this instance, Jesus isn't the cause of the stress. But nonetheless, he is the cure. To raise a family in the fear and admonition of the Lord in our day is to swim in a sea of crisis. I mean, the second you think you've tied up the loose ends, it all comes unraveled again. Amen? That's life. It's the way it works. But it is my prayer that you will be able to see in this miracle of Jesus at the wedding feast of Canaan, that that God is in control and that you can keep swimming even if you're in a sea of crisis. You see, crisis makes house calls. Crisis comes and gets you where you are. And I want to tell you, wherever that crisis finds you, know that Jesus is with you too. And if we can learn a few things from this text today, I think there is a path for us to better mental and spiritual health. Moms, hear me out. You're strong, you're awesome, but you need to build up more strength mentally and spiritually to keep going. So I'm not saying that to be mean. I'm just saying that to be real with you. We need to be mentally tougher. We need to be spiritually tougher because the world's only getting tougher. And the challenges are only becoming greater. And if we are going to be uh, the the women of faith, if we're going to be the men of faith that we are called to be, we're going to have to learn some lessons. Because circumstances will always conspire to rob you of your joy. But Christ is able to give us the gifts we need to overcome stress and find true peace. I believe Jesus wants us to have the peace that passes all understanding, as Paul says in Philippians 4, 6. And we need to begin with this idea of the wine running out. We need to see what it's like to be running on empty. That's another phrase I think that fits moms pretty well. I think a lot of times when I talk to moms, they feel like 
they are running on empty. Well, in verses 1 through 4, we see that the wine quite literally does run out. Now, let me just set the stage just a little bit. Remember, we're at the beginning of Jesus' ministry here in John chapter 2. John the Baptist has just left the scene, as it were, and now Jesus takes center stage. He has gathered his disciples, but his disciples still are not quite sure what they're in for. Um, the, how many of you have watched the show The Chosen? Been watching that? Uh, I, I highly recommend it. Uh, somebody asked me if I've watched all the, the, the shows. I haven't because I read the book. Uh, but anyway... Uh, It's still a good show, okay? But please read the book first. Um, But one of the things I love about this show is that it does give, I think this is the best I've ever seen, where it shows how the disciples are like, Jesus, you want me to do what? Like, just when we're reading the text, you need to realize when Jesus says, oh, by the way, won't you guys go out two by two? And they're like, well, what are we supposed to do? And he goes, oh, just do what I do. It's Jesus. And yet they did it. They went out. But at this stage, they're not there yet. They're still trying to figure out Jesus. Jesus has just told them in John 1.50 that they're going to see greater things. Lo and behold, they did not know that the first great thing that they would see is the water turned into wine. The disciples are about to behold the glory of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's John 1.14. Uh, But they don't head for the temple complex. They don't head to Pilate's palace. They go to Cana of Galilee for a wedding. Now, I want you to get this. Here we are in mid-America. Springfield is a nice town, but it's not going to be classified as one of the great metropolises of the world. But don't let that bother you because notice this. Jesus chose to manifest the first signs of his glory in a tiny village among common people. He did not go to the great city of Jerusalem. He did not go to Rome. He did not go to the great metropolises of the day. But he went to a tiny out-of-the-way village that nobody would have ever known about to perform this first miracle. And the miracle of turning water into wine. Let me just use a phrase here for you. It is a picture of common grace. Common grace. I mean, there's not a healing that's taking place here. There's not a demon possession that is cured. Water is turned to wine. And I'm going to tell you why here in a minute, and many of you know why, but but it seems like such a mild thing, a minor point. But I want you to know that this miracle shows Jesus' love shining through in such a perfect way, a love to his mother and a love to the whole world. We're not sure what's going on here, but it appears the couple that are being married here were connected to Jesus' family in some way. It looks like Mary is in a position of leadership in the marital proceedings. So let's just call her the wedding coordinator. Now, as I said before, attending a wedding is fabulous. Good food, usually you're not having to pay for it. It's a good gig, okay? Just show up and eat cake. I mean, that's life, man. You're living the life. Unless you're paying for the cake, and then it's not so fun. Have you seen how much these cakes cost us these days? That's crazy. Listen, all I know is, is that what little stress I have in my life right now, my daughter, when she gets married, I'm going to (laughs) die. Like, I'm just now paying for college. We're just about through that for her, and she's killing me. And then I'm talking to a brother, one of the guys on the trip. This has nothing to do with the sermon, but you're going to listen to it. Um... (laughs) One of the guys on the trip 
is telling me how much his daughter's wedding cost. And I'm sitting there going, but God, why? Why, why does it have to be like this? Well, no, Johnny, I don't want to hear from you. So Mary is the wedding coordinator here. She's in charge. And uh, you know what? Running out of wine seems like a minor problem. Well, you know, just go to the store and get more. Well, you know there was no store. And you know that wine would have been a very expensive thing to buy anyway. And I think in Canaan, we can assume that these are not people with great amounts of money. These are poor, common people who do not have resources, but they're having a wedding. And they're having uh, uh, the time of their life. They're supposed to be having this wonderful moment, and now it looks like all the fun comes to an end. Now, you think it's a minor deal, but I did a little research. Imagine that. And did you know, according to some of the extra-biblical resources that we do have, some of the things that tell us about the Jewish culture as it relates to marriage and weddings you could actually be sued in civil court if you were the wedding planner and you didn't prepare enough wine. I found a document that said that you were liable legally, like you could get in trouble with the law. You think they were taking this serious? Now, when Mary comes to Jesus with her concern, it all said, like, if we're first reading this, we're like, what in the world? This is such a small thing. This is Jesus. This is the guy who's going to take blind people and give them sight. This is the guy who's going to cast out demons. This is the guy who can raise people from the dead. This is the guy who resurrects from the dead. And why is this such a big deal? Well, it was a big deal because his mom could be a jailbird, okay? That's a big deal. You don't want your mom to be a jailbird, right? That seems to be like... Mother's Day 101, don't, don't have mom go to jail. So here, this is a big deal. It's a big deal. And so when the wine ran out, verse 3, the stress and heartache are bubbling over. Mary would have said with a trembling voice to her son, they have no wine. She was not kidding around. We've laughed about this, but this is not a funny situation. This is a big deal. Now, remember, Jesus is is sort of moving from his first 30 years of being, you know, a son and a brother to being the son of God. He is making this move uh, into ministry, and his, his conversation with his mother does seem to be, at best, abrupt. But I think Mary understood. I know the situation was stressful, and I think Jesus is just getting down to the point. He is letting her know that he has got it. In fact, here's my translation. Chill out, Mom. I've got this covered. Chill out, Mom. I've got this covered. He's not being disrespectful. He's saying, Mom, don't you worry one more second. I've got it. And if you'll notice in the text, Mary is not upset at all with how Jesus responds to her. She turns around and says, hey, whatever he says, right? She's not upset. She knows it's going to get done. Now, let me just say this to you. Listen to me. When the crisis comes into your life, stop talking to yourself and start talking to Jesus. Let me say it again. When the crisis comes into your life, stop talking to yourself. Let me put a parenthetical behind that. That's worry. That's anxiety. That is wasted breath. Instead of talking to yourself, 
talk to Jesus. I know that sounds elementary, but I think most of us need some milk this morning and not meat. Because what we're doing when we run into difficulties is we're stressing out about it. We're letting our minds run wild. We are out of control mentally and spiritually. But the answer is when you are stressed out, stop talking to yourself and talk to God. Talk to Jesus. He has the answer. You will never find the answer to the crisis in your own heart. It always comes from Jesus. Friends, the wine of life runs out from time to time, doesn't it? The world will often rob us of joy. Our expectations fall short in a fallen world. Things don't go according to plan. But with Jesus, all things take place according to his plan. The one who knew his hour had not yet come knows exactly what is needed in this very moment. I said a moment ago that water into wine is common grace, but I want you just for a moment to realize that this parable, or this story, is like a parable in this sense. It's pointing to something bigger, a larger problem in this instance. You see, Jesus is coming into a country, into a people, among a people that had lost their way. For generations, the people of Israel had not been fervently following God. They had been going through the motions, and we see that in the way that Jesus responds with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? In his ministry, the religious leaders and he are always at odds. Why? Because they'd lost their way. And let me say this, if the people have lost their way, you can guarantee, or if the, if the leaders have lost their way, you can guarantee that the people had lost their way too. So here's the deal. The picture of the wine coming from water is a picture of something new. New wine, we are are told here, better wine is needed. Jesus has come to bring something new, fresh and refreshing to our anxious and busy lives. I want you to see this. Many of us in this room have been in the church for a long, long time. But many of us in this room, we have grown stale in our faith. We need something new. We need a stirring We need something fresh. I can holler at you all day long. I can yell and scream and, and you know, what they say down south, clean me off a spot and preach. I can do that if you want me to. I can yell at you. But let me talk to your heart for a minute. You see, the wine for you has run out. Some of you, the wine has run out. And things are, are desperate. There are things going on in your life that you don't want to talk about. There are things that have happened that are things that are, that are happening, and you don't want to talk about it. But here's the deal. The first step towards getting better and to getting, getting strong is to admit that the, the wine has run out. The joy is not there. Wine in the Old Testament and the New Testament is another way to say joy. Did you know that? Wine in the Psalms in particular is a picture of joy. The joy has been gone for a long time in your worship, Maybe in your relationships. I want to tell you, I understand that you're stressed out. But stop talking to yourself and start talking to Jesus. He does have answers. There there is a way. You, You need him. You need the church. You see, Jesus had come to bring a message of repentance and salvation for all who would believe. 
And, and wine was associated with joy and the joyous occasions of the Hebrew people. And what I believe that God is saying through this story to us today is, is that if the wine has run out, it's time to turn to Jesus. Don't give up. Don't think that there will never be joy again. Turn to Jesus. He is the source of joy. So what do we do to get that? Well, that's the second point. We need to do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you may be the worst line in a Mother's Day sermon ever. But moms, this is your duty. You're not, you're not being told here to do whatever your husband tells you to do. You're being told here, just as Mary was, to do what Jesus would command you to do. Jesus is the key here. And that makes this the best line in a Mother's Day sermon ever. That is, if you want to escape from the stress and the pain and the sorrow, then turn your heart to the Word. Last week when I was teaching these wonderful pastors and leaders in South Asia, a couple of times I ran too fast through my notes, and they said, wait a second, where's the text on that? Where's the scriptural reason for that particular point? Now, in my footnotes, if they looked on the page, there was extensive footnotes, and boom, there there they were. But I love that, because if we are going to navigate through crisis, we need instruction from the Lord. And when we look at this, this is the command of Jesus. Mary is saying, do whatever Jesus commands you to do. But we can extrapolate from that. We can expand from that and say that every word in the Bible is a word from Jesus, It is whatever he tells you is in the word. And so when the crisis comes, when joy runs low, the best hope we have is to turn to Jesus, to listen, to trust, and obey. The question is simple. Will you listen when Jesus starts talking to your heart? Moms, one of the best things you can do is speak truth over and over again. You need to speak this truth. You need to tell your children. You need to tell anybody that will listen to you, do whatever Jesus says. You want to know the happiness, uh, the secret to happiness in life? It is to do whatever Jesus has told you to do. So what did Jesus tell them to do? Verses 6 through 8 tells us that Jesus commanded six stone water jars to be filled with water. And he says, fill them to the brim. In terms of size, we're talking 20 to 30 gallons apiece. That's a lot of water. That's a lot of wine. Notice, we're not talking about a minimum amount here. We're talking about a maximum amount. The last thing verse 8 tells us is that the servants were commanded by Jesus to take some of the new wine to the master of the feast. Literally, in the Greek, this reads, the ruler of the table. Now, if you're anything like, like me, um, I think that's a really good, when I was reading this in the Greek, I thought, wow, that is a great great line for, um, for my mom. She is the ruler of the table. Now that's just a little aside there, but the master of the feast, the ruler of the table. Now everyone in this story obeys Jesus's commands. This is important to note. So, so Jesus is there and Jesus has things that need to be done. He tells them what to do, but we don't want to negate the fact that the people actually listen to him. Now keep in mind, at this point, Jesus, this is the first miracle. They have no context. You and I have context. We're like, well, of course, if Jesus said to do this, I mean, he can 
take blind people and make them see. He can take the deaf and make them hear. If Jesus says to do this, obviously do it. At this point, there, was, there were no miracles to lean on. There was no history of, of past miraculous power. But the people listened, and they obeyed. Listen, this is so important. Maybe you would tell me that you've never seen a miracle. Maybe you would tell me you've never really seen God move. Well, let me tell you this. You may not have seen it, but that doesn't mean God hadn't been doing something around you. And I want to tell you right now, if you want to tap into the power of God, you can only do that when you do what Jesus tells you to do. You can't negate Jesus' words and then ask Jesus for his power. Those two things go together. We must do whatever he tells us. Mary had the faith of a mother, but I want to tell you, she had the faith of a believer. And she told those people to do what Jesus said, and they did it, and joy was poured out. Wine uh, was, was made out of water. Now, let me say again, there's some symbolism here. The wine also points us to the blood he will shed for the sins of the world. It is no mistake. We go from Cana to Calvary. Cana is, is, is this beautiful picture of Jesus's love. He turns water into wine. But you all know when we get to the Lord's Supper that that wine represents the blood of Jesus, right? And I believe this is a prefigurement. This is a, a hint. This is a, a shadow of what's to come, that Jesus is going to give his life on Calvary. And those who believe in him will not perish. We must do whatever he tells us, but we must also trust that Jesus has defeated death on the cross. When we obey Jesus, when we give our lives to Jesus, he is able to change everything. In fact, Exodus 19.5, God reminds his people that if they are obedient to the statutes and the law, that they will be his treasured possession. Listen to me. God wants you to be his treasured possession. He loves you and treasures you, but he expects you to obey. That brings us to our final point here, the good wine. The good wine, verses 9 through 12. Now, I think that you will agree this is a good thing. I am not a wine connoisseur. Probably not the best thing for your Southern Baptist pastor to be. So that's good. I am not a wine connoisseur. But I do drink quite a bit of coffee. So let me use coffee as my illustration here. Some people basically have laboratories in their kitchen to make coffee. I know a few people, I know a few people. And it's incredible, it is so wonderful. Now, if the feds show up, you've got some explaining to do with all the beakers and everything, um, but nonetheless. Others here today drink coffee, but you like Folgers, and that's just fine by you. I had a friend one time describe Folgers coffee in this way. He described it as warm cardboard. <laughs> the taste of warm cardboard. Now, most of us are somewhere in between. We're not necessarily Folgers people. We're not necessarily, you know, we don't have coffee labs in our house. We're somewhere in the middle. Um, we just like good coffee. Well, suffice to say, just as there is good coffee and bad coffee, there is good wine and bad wine. Jesus' vintage was not Folgers. It was the best of the best. When we talk about the good wine, keep this in mind, when Jesus gets involved, we always get the best of the best from God. 
I want you to know this. If you will obey Jesus, if you will be all in for Jesus, he will not just give you good things. He will give you the best things. Here's what the world does, though. The world's very different. The world likes to get you hooked on something that seems good, and then they give you a lesser quality down the road. That's the picture here we see. That's what the, 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 the a master of the feast says. Most people give the good stuff up front, and then when people are, are feeling tipsy, he gives them the bad stuff. Well, that's how the devil always works. He lures you in and then gives you something less. God brings you in and then gives you something more. He gives you the good stuff. God's goodness gets better with each passing moment. And in the end, he gives you eternal life. Sin always tastes sweet up front, but will kill you in the end. Obedience leads to a joy that lasts forever. And that joy comes in large quantities. Let me just say, there was 120 to 180 gallons of of water turned into wine. That's a lot. Now, you say, that seems excessive. Well, it was, but I want to tell you this. I don't think they drank it all. Do you realize how valuable that is? They were able to sell that, I believe, and that was how they were able to survive. This was not just the gift of wine. This was the gift of life, in my view. I believe that Jesus' gifts are better than any gift you'll get in the world. So let me say this. Why do you keep pursuing the gifts that the world wants to give you when Jesus has better gifts to give? Friends, this is important. Moms, doubly so. Your children need to know from you that whatever good things are in the world, Jesus has something better to give them. Make that a priority in your teaching ministry in your home. That Jesus always gives us something better, the very best. Do our children believe that Jesus is the best and that what he offers us is the best? Or do we communicate to our children that there are other things in this world of equal importance? I said earlier, moms and dads are under more stress than ever before. School grades, Sports, choirs, just chaos. And I know we want the best for our children, but if we give them the world's best stuff, that stuff will run dry. When we give our children Jesus, we give them something of immense value that will grow stronger and better with age. I was in some meetings when my son was first starting baseball. Travel baseball. Some of you will appreciate this because travel baseball is about to start. Or has started. I know it has started. I remember sitting there with grown men who told me that if my son played select ball or travel ball on their team, he would get a college scholarship. Now, you know, I have a skeptical mind. Those kids, none of them knew how to play baseball, and the coaches didn't know anything about baseball either. And they certainly certainly didn't know anything about college. But it's things like that the world is telling us, that that's the answer. I can tell you from experience, I used to be able to play baseball and soccer. If I do that now, I'm going to the orthopedic surgeon. You can't, you won't always be able to swing a baseball bat. You can't, you won't always be able to kick a soccer ball 
Um, you may be able to play golf for a while, but let me tell you something. Golf is a frustrating sport, and if you're trying to grow in faith, don't take it up. <laughs> preacher, preacher friend of mine said this. He said, you know, when I play golf, he said, I never cuss, but everywhere I spit, the grass dies. <laughs> now, clearly, I am sleep-deprived and telling you things I shouldn't tell you. But I want you to realize this. There's actually a point here. I believe that we are telling our children that the important things are the very things that they won't be able to take very far in their lives. And I want to say to you, moms and dads, make sure that you are making Jesus the most important thing. Because here's the deal. Physically and mentally, we're all breaking down on some level. Some of us faster than others. But your faith can always grow stronger. Train your children in the way they should go, and they won't depart from it. And notice this. They won't get weaker in their faith. They'll get stronger. Everything else in this world is on a decline as we get older, except for faith. Faith is something that can grow stronger. So my advice to you is, is to evaluate the crisis, look at all the things you're doing, and ask yourself this question. Are the things we're spending all of our time and energy doing right now, are they things that will last, or are they things that will go away? The world is promising you college scholarships. They're promising you that your children will be happy and fulfilled. Let me tell you something. They don't know what they're talking about. But Jesus always knows what he's talking about. Listen to him. His way is better. His way is best. We are setting our children up for endless crisis in life if we don't keep Jesus central. Over the years, I've had... I've been, I've been in ministry long enough. I've been in ministry long enough to talk to parents who didn't do this, who didn't prioritize Jesus. And they lost their children to the world because the foundation wasn't solid. I, I, this is not a hypothetical. I'm not preaching to you as a young man. I'm not a young man anymore. When I was 19 and preaching, I was preaching in hypotheticals. Now I'm preaching. I have names. I have families in my mind. I can't share them, of course, but I can see faces of people whose children are not in the church. And not only that, I don't even think that they would call themselves men and women of faith today in their 30s and their 40s because there was other priorities in life. Listen, moms, dads, you gotta hear me. I know that life is full of crisis. I know that there's a lot of chaos, but hear me out. Jesus is better. Listen to him. Do what he tells you to do. Build on faith. Make Jesus the priority. And if Jesus is not the priority in your life today, let me say this. It's okay to say to Jesus, help me. I'm not here to, to convict you or to make you feel like a bad mom. What a terrible thing to do on Mother's Day. That's not my goal. What my goal is is to say, wake up. Because the good stuff is Jesus. And everything else is lesser. A lesser joy. Has joy been running low? Has the joy of your heart been running low? The world consumes us, but I want to tell you, the Lord restores us. If you would say to me this morning that you have felt a lack of joy, Jesus is calling your name. Are you being obedient to God's word? 
Or are you compromising? Some of us are compromising the most basic tenets of our faith and don't even realize we're doing it. We're not being faithful to worship. We're not being faithful to Bible study. We're not being faithful to prayer. And, and, and those little things, we're saying, well, but I'm not committing adultery or I'm not stealing. Great. I'm, I'm, that's a good thing. But if the devil has you focused on those things and you're not taking care of the most basic relational elements of your faith, relational in the sense of how are you going to know what God says unless you read his word? How are you going to talk to God unless you pray? How are you going to experience the joy of the Lord unless you worship? I'm telling you, the church today, the church today is in trouble because we're, we're not focusing on prayer, Bible study, worship. We're focusing on a lot of things. We're, we're busy. But I think Jesus has something better for us. Have you been settling for something less than the very best that God has for you? You see, the wedding feast at Canaan is a beautiful story of God's provision. But it's also a beautiful story of seeing someone in crisis come out to find joy, to find hope. So wherever you are, however stressed out you feel right now, I want you to know, if you'll grab a hold of Jesus' hand this morning, on the other side of that crisis is hope. Come to this altar and find hope. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.